we're going to talk about Enoch and what it was about Enoch that made him rapture ready. So the rapture is not actually a new concept. People have been taken into heaven. In the Old Testament we have Enoch and we have Elijah who are taken into heaven. They were caught up, translated, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Paul also says that he was caught up into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. So we know that the rapture itself is not a mystery. It's something that was actually shown to us in the Old Testament. And there are a lot of details about each person who was raptured. That is specifically about Enoch and about Elijah. And what's kind of... Um, um, baffling to me and and even in my own studies about the rapture and so on is why we haven't actually looked more carefully or more closely at Enoch's translation into heaven and also Elijah's. So a few videos ago I actually did a sort of a little synopsis of when Elijah was translated or when he was caught up the fiery chariot came and got him I'm going to talk about that some more because I think there's actually a little bit more in that Bible study that needs to be brought out in a little fuller way. But today, I want to look at Enoch. There are certain things that we learn about Enoch, about what actually qualified him or what, what it was about him that made him rapture ready, that made him qualified to actually go into heaven, be translated, to walk with God and then to be not because God took him. And right along with that is the idea that Enoch would never taste death. Now we know as, as believers from reading Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is a group of people who will never die. They will never ever die because they're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. The trumpet will sound and they'll be made immortal. The things that are mortal will put on immortality and death will be swallowed up in victory. So we, we know that there is a group of people, and I'm hoping that I'll be one of them, who will never taste death, just like Enoch will never taste death. Now when Enoch was caught up, he was caught up in his natural body. He was not changed. He is still at this very moment in his natural body, being kept alive in heaven. Uh, he does not have his immortal body. He cannot be in an immortal body. He has to wait for all the rest of us before he can be changed into immortality. But I want to look at Enoch a little bit today because there's some very interesting things that the Bible tells us about him that I think we need to look at so that we'll be rapture ready, so that when Jesus comes, we're not going to be ashamed and shrink back, but we'll, we'll be people who actually obtain the promises of God. Most teaching out there about the rapture, about eschatology, I mean, if people believe in a rapture, uh, they believe that everybody goes, if you're born again, all born again believers, they call the church or the bride, are taken at one time. Now there's a few people out there who are also seeing sort of the way I do that there is more than one rapture. There's more than one occasion when God comes to take his people 
into heaven. And the book of Revelation actually shows us three separate groups of people who are going to be taken alive into heaven. And one of them is the male child that we see as the 24 elders before the throne of God in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. The second group that's going to be taken are those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, the 144,000 who will be taken before the hour of trial, that is before the abomination of desolation takes place. And they're present in heaven, also before the throne of God, and they're singing their new song. And then there is uh, another group that will go in what I call the cloud rapture. That's described in Revelation 14, 14. That Paul also talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those who will be caught up at the coming of the Lord. That is, on a day and hour nobody knows because we don't know exactly when the coming of the Lord will be. That is, when he's going to rule and reign, which is what that word coming means, when he's going to set up his kingdom. So the Bible shows us that not everybody is going to be caught up and that there's requirements, there's qualifications, there's um, caveats and addendums to being taken. Eventually, every Christian is going to have the redemption of their bodies. Eventually, every Christian will have immortality, but we don't all get it at the same time. And there's reasons for that. Okay, there's reasons, and you have control over a lot of those reasons. So what I want to look at today is a passage in Hebrews. I'm going to start in Hebrews 10. I'll read the passage, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. I don't want this Bible study to be very long, but I do want it to be practical, and I do want to kind of light a fire under some people who are you know, thinking they're good to go when really they, they may not be. And I also want to encourage other people that it's not hard to be rapture ready. It doesn't require, um, you know, a lot of good works and so on and so forth. In other words, it's not a checklist, but there there are certain certain things that characterize people that are like Enoch, people who follow his example and we're, we, we're um, instructed to follow the examples of these Old Testament saints. They have set us an example and we're supposed to follow their good example in terms of, of how to get ready for um, the coming kingdom. So what I want to do is read this passage from Hebrews and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the qualifications that Enoch had that made him rapture ready and how we can apply that to our life today. All right, so we'll start in Hebrews 10, verse 35, and we're going to read through Hebrews 11, verse 6, and I may make some little comments along the way. Enoch's translation and his life of faith is couched in a very famous passage about faith and also couched in this um, a passage that's talking about the end times. All right, therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Okay, so I just want to point out a couple things here. That we have a confidence that God is going to do something. But there are people, there are Christians, who are going to throw it away. Throw away their confidence and not endure. They're just going to give it up. They're just going to say, ah, I don't need this. I don't, I don't want to stress out about this. They're going to give it up. And what the author of Hebrews here is saying is that 
you need to endure so that when you've done the will of God, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, you may receive what is promised. Okay, the receiving of what is promised is for those who do the will of God. So what is the will of God in the context of the book of Hebrews? In Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the author here is saying, look, you need to be earnest about this, okay? Be convinced, have full assurance of hope all the way to the end. And imitate people who through faith and patience inherit the promises, okay? And Hebrews 11 is going to talk about those people. Verse 37 of, of Hebrews 10, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Here he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and he is not going to delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I want you to notice something here that God says he has righteous ones. Righteous ones shall live by faith, but some righteous ones might shrink back. He's not saying that those who shrink back aren't part of God's righteous ones, because remember, righteousness is imputed to us through the work of Christ on the cross. But we're talking about a life of faith, that my righteous one shall live by faith. Once that righteousness has been imputed to us, now it's required for us to actually walk and live in the faith that we have. Chapter 10 verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. And that Greek word destroyed there actually means ruined or suffer loss. It doesn't mean that you're annihilated or you know that you don't exist anymore that you're or that you're absolutely uh, ruined. But it means that you've, you've suffered a loss of some kind. So he says, we're not of those who shrink back and are ruined or have a loss, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the Greek word there for preserve is to make one's own. That is to completely obtain as a full possession. So what God intends for us is through faith and endurance that we obtain the full uh, possession that God has for us. And that's really what I want for you. It's what I want for me. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. He's going to talk about faith now. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Okay, so in other words, it's very necessary that we live by faith, that we have the conviction of faith, because that's how we receive commendation or praise from God. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created everything. Those of us who believe in Jesus believe that God made it all. We weren't there. We didn't see him when he was doing this. But we believe it's true. We believe that God created everything out of nothing except for his word. When he spoke it, it came into existence. 
And that's what the author is saying here. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen all around us was made out of things that are not visible. God's word cannot be seen, but yet when he spoke, all of a sudden, all this stuff came into existence that we see around us. We understand that looking backward, we, we understand that this is how it happened. But there is a kind of invisibility of, of God's reality that is in our future. That in the same way we can understand it from the past, we have to look into the future too and see that there's things that are going to be happening that are going to be happening um, that are not visible. We don't see them yet. They're not part of our current reality. But just like we see the world around us because God created it, eventually we are going to see the reality of the things that are currently invisible or haven't been brought into existence yet. Verse 4, by faith, okay, and I'm going to use the book of Hebrews um, definition of faith, which is by reason of the assurance and conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith is the assurance and conviction of things that we don't see. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5, by faith, that is, by reason of the assurance and conviction of things not seen, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. This is how Enoch is a type of believer who will never die. Enoch was taken that he should not see death. God has basically promised Enoch that he would never die. Enoch is like us. He's a type of raptured person who will never taste death, right? So Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. So apparently there were people who were looking for Enoch, but they couldn't find him because God took him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So people knew that Enoch was someone who pleased God. They were aware of that. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew Old Testament, uses that phrase, pleased God. So let's take a look at Genesis 5, 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, or in the Septuagint, it says he pleased God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, or pleased God, and he was not, for God took him. And I think of this passage in Amos 3.3, 3, the two walk together unless they've agreed to meet. So you can't have two people going to the same place or headed in the same direction unless they've agreed that they're going to go together. And that's what happened with Enoch. He walked with God. And walking with God is just another way of saying that he pleased God. And now we come to verse 6. And without faith, that is without the assurance and conviction of things not seen, 
and in our case of things not seen in our future, things that we can't see right now, but we're convinced of it, we're assured that these things are going to take place. Without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, that is, you want to be in God's presence, you want to be close to Him, you have to believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. What does the life and translation of Enoch tell us about being rapture ready? One of the things that I love about Bible study is that the word is very, it's just very clean and pure when you, when you read it. It just, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot hidden underneath it. But if you can look at scriptures and go, you know, there is something in here. There is something God is wanting to tell me about Enoch's faith about his life of faith and about Enoch's ability to see things that other people couldn't see, things that, that he could see about what God had for him, about rewards in the future if he continued in this uh, full assurance and confidence in God. Okay, so Enoch's translation is strongly correlated with faith. That Enoch was translated, he was taken into heaven, he was raptured, because of his assurance, because of his faith. And I want to make a distinction here. The author of Hebrews is not talking about saving faith. In other words, we're not talking about the faith that, you know, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're born again in salvation from dead works and are being saved from the lake of fire. And, and he's not talking about saving faith here. Faith in the New Testament has several uh, definitions including uh, the idea of fidelity and faithfulness. We're talking about being faithful and having fidelity and integrity toward God. So Hebrews isn't talking about that Enoch had saving faith that kept him from, you know, going to the lake of fire. What, what Enoch had was a life of faithfulness. Enoch's rapture story is in the context of endurance and faithfulness. My righteous one shall live by faith. Okay, we're already declared righteous. We're, now we're righteous. We're righteous ones, and now we live in faithfulness. Okay, we don't have to work at being saved, but we do need to walk in faithfulness and integrity and in fidelity and holiness toward God. So believers are actually described as God's righteous ones in Hebrews 10. And he has righteous ones who persevere, who walk in faith and faithfulness. And then there are those who do not. And they will shrink back when Christ comes at his appearing. So Christ's coming is going to take place. He says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So there is a, a, a life of faithfulness that God is looking for. There's a day coming when Christ is not going to delay. He is going to come. And he expects that we're going to be found living faithfully in integrity toward God and in full fidelity and faithfulness. So God has righteous ones who will not shrink back. He has right, righteous ones who might shrink back, who may shrink back. And it says, and then they are ruined. They come to a ruin. There is something that they could have had, 
but they won't obtain it. Whereas those who are living faithfully before God will obtain every promise that God has made to them. From a worldly standpoint, there is a kind of unreasonableness about faith. You can see that in the world around where people, you know, want to believe in a big bang that, you know, stuff just came out of nothing and, well, it did, but there was God who took nothing and spoke something into existence. But it's by faith that we believe that God is the one who did all this. But in the world around, you know, people don't want to believe that God did this. And so there's a lot of ridicule that can be directed toward people who believe that God created the world. And faith requires us to be able to see the invisible hand of God at work. So we see God's in invisible hand at work, his words that just spoke something into existence when before there was nothing. There was a moment in time when when if you were an angel watching, there wasn't any universe and then all of a sudden there was. God created it. It happened. It came out of nowhere. It came out of what looked like nothing. This is our future. We have in front of us, you know, the the, the future version of what happened in the past, that God has a world that's out there for those who through uh, faithful and patient endurance keep on keeping on holding fast our faith until the end. So it can seem a little bit uh, unreasonable or, you know, kind of like fantasy or it's unreality that we believe in the world to come and even more you know fantastical that we believe in a rapture that somehow or another we're going to be taken or translated into God's presence and even Christians will mock the idea of a rapture or being caught up brought into God's uh, presence but Enoch it says was raptured by faith okay this is again is not a uh, speaking about saving faith, it's about the faith that follows salvation. But my righteous one shall live by faithfulness. Faithfulness and fidelity to God, integrity, perseverance, keeping on, keeping on, a walk of faith. This is the stuff that characterized Enoch and the other Old Testament people of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11. We're not talking about eternal security here. We're not talking about being saved from your sins uh, or that kind of faith. We're talking about the faith that um, allows us to see things that are coming and to be convinced of them even though we don't see them yet. So Enoch's uh, specific deeds and his good works and stuff like that, they're not mentioned in this passage. Enoch's faithfulness um, was not tied to any particular good work or anything that he did that was, you know, we could put on a checklist and say Enoch did this and then he did that and then he did that. We only know that Enoch walked with God. And that right there, okay, Enoch walked with God. That is the clue. That is how you get rapture ready. It's the same way that Enoch did. He walked with God. It was attested about him that he pleased God. That it's our walk with God that pleases him. 
So what is a walk with God? What does that mean? Well, it means that we intentionally cultivate a personal relationship. We're concerned more about our relationship with God than we are about a checklist of good deeds or something that other people may say, well, if you want to be one of you know, God's faithful people, you have to do this, that, or the other thing. You know, just put all of that aside. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God and he pleased God. It's his relationship with God that made all the difference. And there were people in Enoch's day who saw that Enoch walked with God. And actually, they went and looked for him after he sort of disappeared. And they couldn't find him. And they knew this about Enoch, that he pleased God, that he lived in this relationship with God that was faithful. He had a reputation for pleasing God. Now, there's this other place in the book of Genesis in chapter 17 where God asks Abram to walk with him. He said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So God is looking for people who will walk with him. People will, who will have an intimate relationship with him. God doesn't really want all your good deeds. He's not really concerned about that. He wants people who love him. That's the command that he gave. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek to please me. Know me. I want to be known. Okay, this is God's heart. He wants to be known. It's this relationship that God is looking for. And that's what Jesus' death on the cross was all about. It was to uh, bridge this gap that existed between sinful man and a holy God. So when Jesus died on the cross, the, our debt of sin was canceled. And God could legitimately bring us back into a relationship with him where we're sons of God, children of God, where we, we have a relationship with him. God didn't create us so that we would be alienated from him. He created us to have a relationship with him. And that's what he wants. And that's what Jesus came to do. So once our sins are taken care of, once we've received Christ and we believe on him, now God is saying, cultivate a relationship with me. I want to uh, show who I am to you. I want you to be close to me. I want us to be have a close and intimate relationship. So Enoch was taken into heaven, not because he had saving faith. He was taken because he regularly drew near to God. He believed that God would reward him if he continuously sought him. Uh, James says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jeremiah 29 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So what was Enoch's reward? Okay, here's the passage, Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is looking for people who are seeking him, and there is a reward for people who seek him. What is 
the reward of people who are seeking God? Well, this is really simple. <laughs> it's God. Your reward is God himself. And if you are wanting to draw near to God, he's wanting to draw near to you. If you're cultivating a relationship with him, if you're walking with him in faithfulness, he's going to bring you to where he is because that's the desire of your heart and he is going to reward that. So the writer of Hebrews is saying this to believers. He's saying, look, if my righteous one, that is God's righteous one, does not live by faithfulness and is not expecting that there will be a reward for patient endurance, that it's possible that when Christ comes that you'll shrink back and God is not going to take pleasure in you. God is looking for people who are investing in him, who are taking their life and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He is looking for people who want to know him. If you want to know him, he wants to show you who he is on the day when there's no more delay and my coming one shall come. In a number of the parables that Jesus told in the Gospels, there's this phrase where he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And that word knew has to do with an intimate knowing. Okay, of course God knows you. He knows your name. He knows if you've been saved. He, he knows all about you. But what he's looking for is people that he has a relationship with, people who know him. And, you know, people who have this um, closeness with him. There's coming a day when there are people who will be taken and people who will not that are both what we call righteous ones, people who've been saved, but the ones who did not invest in the relationship will not be taken. Okay, they'll they'll be they'll be saved, okay, and eventually they'll receive immortality, but they don't get the full reward. Okay, the full reward of the inheritance. And here's the thing, it's not that those who shrink back are engaged in some kind of willful um, sin or something that's really gross. It can be some, something as simple as the cares of this life, that you're just more interested in, you know, having a good retirement or, um, you know, getting married or finishing your degree or, you know, building that new house or you're just more interested in what's going on in this world. You're not seeing the invisible uh, reward of the future. And so you're investing in something that's going to pass away. It's not like you have to be a drunkard or a fornicator or adulterer or anything like that to miss the mark on this. It's just that for whatever reason, you're not investing in your relationship with God. So how do you cultivate a faithful walk once you've been born again? You have to be born again first. That is, you have to come to the Lord and you have to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I want to have a relationship with you. I believe in the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Christ. Okay, let's say you've done that. It's simple. It's easy to do. You just tell God you're, you want to know him and you're, you're going to have faith in the blood of Christ to make a salvation possible for you. Well, that's the easy part. Immediately after that now comes this walk of faithfulness that you have to live in. And it's our honor and privilege actually to engage in this walk. 
I'm just going to give you um, seven things here of, of how to cultivate a faithful walk once you've been born again. Um, the first one is put God first. Always have him at the forefront of your mind. How can I please God? What can I say or do that will bring him honor, bring him glory? Um, how can I live in a way that shows that I put God first? The second thing is read your Bible. Read the Bible. You don't have to understand everything you're reading, but um, the scriptures say, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When you take the word of God and you hide it like a seed in your heart, eventually it's going to sprout in your life. Third thing is prayer, and that should be pretty straightforward. The fourth thing is fellowship with other believers. That iron sharpens iron, and it's in the fellowship with other believers that we learn how to live in the culture of heaven. The fifth thing is trust God in every circumstance of life. And things are going to be allowed into your life, good things and bad things, things that are sad, things that are hard, and God is in all of it. And he has a plan for everything that comes into your life. He has provision and he has a plan. And what he's asking is that we trust him in every circumstance of life. The sixth thing is to yield to the Holy Spirit's, Spirit's guidance. So the Holy Spirit is given to every believer to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And we need to learn, cultivate the habit of yielding to the Holy Spirit and practice doing that as often as possible. All those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the last one, which is, it's, it's probably the hardest one, and that is just um, being willing to die to one's self-life. You know, we all have this, you know, protection that we want to keep around our life. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to... Um, you know, be minimized or demeaned. We want to protect ourselves from stuff out there. And resurrection life comes when things die. And that includes our self-life, that we can experience the resurrection life of Christ in us when we put to death the things in ourselves that are worldly or selfish. Uh, dying to the self-life means different things to different people depending on who you are and the kinds of things in your life that need to be put to death. Uh, being rapture ready is, is more than just being saved. It's putting God first in your life and walking with him. It's being like Enoch who walked with God and was not for God took him. And in the passages before Hebrews 11 and in Hebrews chapter 10 where it talks about that we are to live by faithfulness and by faithful endurance that we can do the will of God and then receive what is promised. And all of that has to do with looking into the future and being able to see what God has planned in our future. There is a future that's not visible to us you know, by our sight but we can see it, we, we know that it's there, and we believe that it's there. And when we put those invisible uh, values ahead of the earthly things that are passing away, that pleases God. And he rewards those who are earnestly and diligently seeking him. So let me know what you think in the comments section, and we'll see you on another video. Till then. 
Have a blessed day.